You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is a relatively new show from Medusa, our first English language podcast, so please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. Typically, this is a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with outside Russia expertise. But for today's show, I'm breaking from that format because I wanted to do an episode about the Democratic primaries in the United States following fresh allegations circulating in America that the Russian authorities are again trying to influence the course of the presidential election. Russiagate or Russian interference or, you know, whatever name or hashtag best suits this conflict, this is a subject we don't write about very often at Medusa because it's an American story, not really a Russian story. And by that, I mean that relatively little news about Russian political interference in the U.S. is actually generated in Russia. Most of the scoops, if that's the right word, have come from American intelligence officials and journalists in Washington, D.C. Well, now America's back with Russiagate 2.0, or maybe it's a some later version of this malware by now. I don't know. But once again, we're having candidates, pundits, and you know the angry bees of social media going on about the Russians. And that got me thinking, what do Russian people in the United States actually think about the Democratic primaries? Now, I'm not a sociologist, I I can't order a survey of all Russians living in the U.S., and honestly, I don't want a bunch of numbers in a poll. What I would like is to hear directly from a few Russian people in America about how they see things. So I talked to some, and that's going to be today's show. Seven Russian people leaning into a microphone and describing their thoughts and feelings about the U.S. Democratic primaries. The conversations here are not representative of anything larger than the individuals speaking. To select these guests, I adopted the thoroughly unscientific methodology of turning to Russians in the U.S. whom I already knew and asking them to put me in touch with Russians in America that I I didn't already know. And I was naturally limited to the people who were willing to talk. And that was not everybody. And it turns out that all of these individuals are either registered Democrats or left-leaning people which means that this is a limited audience, obviously. Now, if that sounds like a pointless exercise, you should probably turn off this podcast on your phone or your web browser right now and just come back next week when we've returned to usual. But before you go, if you haven't left already, I will tell you that I think the conversations I had with these seven individuals were extremely interesting. If only because Americans have done so much talking about the Russians for the past four years, while very seldom listening to Russian people. I'm originally from Severodvinsk, which is in the north of Russia, uh, the Arkhangelsk region. I've been living in the U.S. for six, seven years total. That's Katya. She lives in Boston now, and she's a registered Democrat. Since getting American citizenship, this will be the first primaries and the first presidential election in which 
she can vote. This is very exciting for me because before that, um, I felt that I wanted to participate, but I was not able to actually go and cast my vote. So this is a very different um, experience. And I really feel empowered and uh, I try to be more attentive to what is happening. When I asked Katya if she's picked a candidate yet, she said healthcare is the biggest issue driving her decision. It's no wonder. She has a toddler now and she works full time. I've been uh, sympathetic towards Sanders and Elizabeth Warren because the issue of healthcare is very important for me. So I really believe in universal healthcare. I spoke to somebody else from Russia named Olga, who told me that she's committed most of all to supporting another woman in this presidential election. From the beginning, I've been uh, mostly focused on uh, female candidates. So um, I was paying attention to Kamala Harris since she was Californian and I was interested in her, but um, but also Elizabeth Warren from the from the very beginning. Olga came to the United States in 1996 to go to college, and she bounced around for several years afterward before finally landing in San Francisco, which, incidentally, is where I grew up. I came to the States in 96 for college, and I landed in Rochester, New York, um, and I got my degree and then got a job here after that. Um, Lived, lived in Boston for a few years and then moved to California in 2003. Olga says she's most attracted to Elizabeth Warren's candidacy, in part because she inspired the now feminist expression, nevertheless, she persisted. When Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell criticized Senator Warren for refusing to be silenced when expressing her objections to Jeff Sessions' confirmation as U.S. Attorney General in February 2017. And, you know, that was quite a moment. In fact, let's let's listen to it. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. That that really resonated with me. You know, I did I did watch at the time some of her speech and yeah, and I just I think I think that 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 as a woman in particular, um, I I feel like that. Um, that message of persistence, persistence really, you know, feels very personal. Okay, so let's hopscotch across the country to New York City now, where I talked to a second Olga, Olga number two, or New York Olga. She's a journalist who came to the U.S. from Moscow in a Fulbright grant about 10 years ago. New York Olga says she doesn't prefer a specific candidate among the Democrats right now, but she hopes whoever wins the nomination goes on to defeat Donald Trump. I support anyone. Except that, of course, I don't support Donald Trump, but probably for not the most obvious reasons. Why not the most obvious reasons? What are the what are the un, the non-obvious reasons you don't support Donald Trump? Well, as a journalist, I'm supposed to be on sort of a democratic liberal side, and I am. So it's you know kind of a given that I'm supposed to hate the other side. Um, but I've been reading a lot about the rifts in the United States and uh, the similar juxtaposition in Russia between the Kremlin and the opposition. And sometimes we're all sort of caught up in our own bubbles and we just don't want to hear the other side, the, the truths that could be on the other side. Um, so a lot of things that the sort of the liberal bubble hates about Trump has to do with the image. So whenever I ask people here, so, okay, it's been three years that Trump is president, how 
your life has changed, really. And a lot of people get confused because they cannot really answer that question. So I don't hate him for being a demagogue because a lot of political leaders now are demagogues. And, well, I don't think he's that, that destructive as people say he is. And I think um, there is a lot of sad things about him, actually. A bit to the south, I spoke to another Russian journalist, this one named Karina, who now lives in the capital. I live in Washington, D.C., where I came to in 2015 from Moscow, where I'd lived all my life before that. So, yes, I'm Russian and I've, um, I'm a journalist and I, in Russia, I... I always worked for opposition media. Very much unlike Olga in San Francisco, Karina doesn't think much of Elizabeth Warren, who she says is her least favorite candidate still standing in the Democratic primaries. She strikes me as a hypocrite, and I'm actually not sure what her purpose in the race is, because the last two debates that I carefully watched, the only thing that she did was attacking Mike Bloomberg. So she's, you know, some sort of uh, uh, anti-Bloomberg weapon there. I'm not sure why she's doing that and why she chose to do that, because her major rival is not Mike Bloomberg, I reckon. It's Bernie Sanders. So if not Warren or Sanders, who does Karina like in this race? I like Bloomberg because he, I think, has the best chance to beat Trump. Pete I like because he's um, he's young, he's gay, and, um, you know, that's basically... Gay, not, not that... I mean, so because... I think that um, a gay president um, would raise the level of tolerance in this country, which is great. Uh, And he's young. That's, you know, that's my, uh, that's the first thing that I like about him. Because I don't think that people in their late 70s should decide, honestly, country's destiny. It's just not, it's not right. Also, I like Joe Biden. I mean, I don't think he's a bad man. I don't think he's a bad politician. But unfortunately, Joe Biden doesn't seem like the one who could who could get the nomination at all. That's the problem. How do you reconcile liking Pete because he's young, but also liking Bloomberg and Biden, who are, you know, very old? I like Bloomberg because I think he has the best chance to beat Trump. I like his agenda. and I actually liked his um, presentation at the debates in Charleston. Unlike all other candidates, uh, Bloomberg was was very sharp. He was very precise. Karina isn't the only Russian living in Washington, D.C. I spoke to. Vitaly was born in Soviet Belarus, and he came to the U.S. about a decade ago, a couple of years after witnessing a speech by Barack Obama that convinced him to get involved in American politics. I come to Berlin, as so many of my countrymen have come before, Although tonight I speak to you not as a candidate for president, but as a citizen. A proud citizen of the United States and a fellow citizen of the world. The reason is quite simple, is Barack Obama. At the time of 2008, uh, he was, as you remember, uh, campaigning for his, he was running for presidency. And um, one of his first or the first uh, trip abroad from his campaign used to be Berlin. And at this time, I was uh, working on my PhD in Berlin and studying in Berlin. So I I, I met uh, sort of like I was one of this uh, over a million uh big crowd of, of people standing and listening to Obama. By the way, didn't speak English back then, didn't really understand, but I felt 
the the, the burn you would say or like i i <clears throat> i cut the fire of of his speech and and that's how I, for the first time, realized I want to be involved in politics. Vitaly says he's worked with several U.S. politicians, and he's supported Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign for years now, all of which he says is partly informed by the shock he experienced when moving to the U.S. and witnessing the lack of paid time off for new parents. I was quite surprised when I moved to the richest country on earth for the first time as an immigrant. I was quite surprised that uh, my pregnant wife at this time did not have a single day uh, of maternity leave paid. Uh, while, while you have in Germany um, almost three years paid, fully pa- paid maternity leave for, for women. Moreover, you have almost a year uh, paternity leave for, for, for young fathers, almost 70% paid. And, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it. I, I, thought, uh, I, I said to myself, how is it possible that this richest uh, um, nation on earth cannot afford to support uh, kids and, and the kids getting so much debt I asked Vitaly why his experience seems to have been so different from what many older Russians and Soviet immigrants describe, particularly when it comes to any form of socialism, which Bernie Sanders now openly advocates. Like so much of the political divide in the U.S., Vitaly thinks attitudes about socialism and leftism among immigrants from Russia and the USSR or a generational conflict? Well, uh, I believe it's a matter of generation, of course. Uh, I, I'm in the 70s. I was born in the 70s. So I believe I, I uh, caught a little bit of this, uh, uh, if you wish, uh, a little bit of this social, uh, or maybe a good part of a socialism. Uh, and I believe for all Americans, you have to, of course, differentiate the, the social democracy and democratic, democratic socialism. The irony of the generational divide in the U.S., of course, is that Young people in this election generally favor a candidate who would be the oldest president in American history. Meanwhile, 38-year-old Pete Buttigieg appeals more to older people. Returning to Boston, I spoke to a man named Alexander who came to the United States roughly 40 years ago. That's before I was born, folks. I am not yet in my 40s. Alexander likes Mayor Pete, and he has good things to say about Joe Biden as well. I would say that uh, the first priority is the defeat of Trump. Uh, and that's why I favor Biden. Uh, and uh, um, as we, um, and as for uh, Mayor Pete, uh, what uh, I like, first of all, that he is young, he's the man of the future, not uh, uh, an old generation of politicians. And uh, second, because of his, I would say, daring and groundbreaking uh, situation, because I, some while ago, I would say that a black uh, man would never be a president of the United States. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, Obama did it. And it was great. Uh, for the same reason, I think that uh, the very fact that Mayor Pete is uh, LGBT, that he's gay and that he dares and has uh, and made himself international political figure is a very welcome development for me. And um, I think, uh, and on a personal level, a person with such a daring and such, as they say, in New York chutzpah, given the um, attitudes uh, in America, um, I think that's great. That's why I like him so much. While Alexander credits Bernie Sanders with addressing important social issues, He says the thing he dislikes most about the Vermont senator is the class prism through which he apparently views the world. At the end of the day, he says, 
It's just Marxism. Uh, my suspicion that uh, his major, uh, his major focus is not uh, about uh, in, uh, injustices, but about the class struggle. He is um, committed Marxist, in my view, and uh, he sees all the problems which indeed need to be solved through this. Uh, class struggle uh, prison uh, and um, I'm afraid that uh, he, he is utopian in his uh, attitudes and will probably do more harm than good if he is allowed to implement his programs. Of course, leftism isn't a dirty word for many young people today which is essentially what I heard from Nastya, who's now in New York City completing a PhD. So I was born in the city that is called Izhevsk, which is not pretty familiar to all the people outside of Russia. And then when I moved to Moscow and I lived in Moscow for five years. That's Nastya describing how she got to Russia's capital, where she got involved in the city's democracy movement in the winter of 2011 and 2012, while also becoming active in Russia's feminist movement. Nastya says Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign in 2016 was actually one of the key reasons she wanted to come live and study in the United States. Actually, like one of the factors that influenced my decision of like, coming here and studying here was like Bernie's campaign in 2016. And I very well remember how I was sitting in St. Petersburg and was like watching his videos and I was like wow oh my god is this possible like in the US to say these kind of like radical socialist things and I was very impressed and I really wanted to come here at that like historical point and to absorb and to participate in that kind of rise of left-wing politics here. Do you feel like you're doing that now? Yeah I definitely feel that. I mean, two years ago, look at the words like socialism. Everyone was so scared of saying this word out loud or identifying him or herself with like socialist movement or like socialist agenda. Right now, I mean, it happened very, very quickly, almost like in six or five months when like the word like socialism suddenly became widespread like identity. And I do see this even among some Russian immigrants who, for example, like came here with me like three or four years ago as more like moderate social democratic or like moderate liberals. And now they are like very, very gradually turning to supporting Bernie Sanders, which is surprising to me at least. What do you say to older Russian immigrants or older, just older Russian people living in the United States who their reaction to either the word socialism or to a lot of the policies that Bernie Sanders promotes, they compare it to communism. And they say that, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here or generalizing for a lot of people, but I'm sure you've encountered this as well, that that uh, they argue that, you know, Bernie Sanders is, is, would be a terrible thing for the United States and that he embodies many of the things that caused them to leave Russia or to leave the Soviet Union. I mean, like uh, Gary Kasparov, I think, is, is very outspoken in saying roughly exactly these things. What, what, how do you, do you interact? I mean, I guess I'm curious, do you interact socially with anybody like that? And if not, if you were to talk to one of these people, 
what what do you think you would say or is there just no there's no shared middle ground here you just you're in separate worlds yeah so in my everyday life i do not interact with them because i'm more like in the university community or in the activist community that doesn't share much with say immigrants living near the brighton beach area but i do have say for example relatives living there and I do know their like political views and commitments. And they're actually, I want to say that they are not that homogeneous as people usually think. So, right, like there are a lot of conservative people who are like against any use of the word socialism that reminds them of like Stalinism, like repressions, etc. Right. So there are these people, but also there are others who who would support Sanders, but probably they won't they won't do this very eloquently or loudly. But they would say stand for like free medicine and free education. Back in San Francisco, Olga says she regularly encounters the pitfalls of the generational divide when discussing U.S. politics with her parents, who still live in Russia. I hesitate to talk to them about this anymore. Um, my parents, I think, are um, being in Russia and being Jewish in Russia, they are very much exposed to the right-wing um, uh, sort of debates. Uh, my, you know, I, I, I think my father supports, uh, let's say, you know, I remember him him supporting the Israel, like the uh, Trump's idea about moving the is American embassy to Jerusalem. <laughs> so uh, since then, I've I've really stayed away from conversations about politics, American politics. For Russians in America, awkward phone calls with your folks back home aren't the only reason to want to steer clear of politics. New York City Olga told me that the U.S. media's fixation on Russia's supposed influence over America's democratic process actually annoyed her into following this year's presidential race less closely than Trump's election in 2016. When he got elected, essentially, it was such a shock for the entire country. And I understand that a lot of people who were shocked were looking for a reason to hold on to why that happened. And of course, Russia was such a convenient excuse. And I'm not justifying what Russia did. Of course, there was interference, which I think in detail is covered in the Mueller report. But sort of the whole Russia gate became a story of its own. It's like a, a Greek mythology, you know, that has characters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at this point, I think the story with the actual interference in 2016 election is over. It has been investigated. The report has been released. You know, that's it. Olga says one of the biggest problems with the Russiagate story is how it exaggerates the Kremlin's power, which is naturally very frustrating for people who understand the limits and the shortcomings of the Russian state. But because of this whole mythology and because a lot of people, when they were in shock, they got emotionally invested in the story and they now... Whenever they hear Russiagate, they, they get alerted, they get frustrated. And, you know, they just believe that, of course, Putin is an evil genius. And, of course, he's going to try to undermine American democracy. And that's the conversation that really, I'm sorry, pisses me off. And because 
the greatest power in the world in history of humankind is so scared of Russia. Uh, and on the scale of all kinds of power, military, economic, cultural, Russia is not really there, not even close. So it's really funny that America is feeling insecure about Russia. I think that has to, to say more about America than about Russia. In Boston, meanwhile, Katya told me that she thinks talk about Russian interference in this year's election isn't a major concern for most Americans, at least among the people she knows. So I think that this is mostly in the media than in people's minds. I don't see my friends talking about that. I don't see my friends being concerned uh, with these accusations or concerns or um, suspicions. So I really don't know if this is anything larger than uh, just a media story and just some theme, a reoccurring theme in, in Washington. This is not a universal sentiment, of course. In Washington, Karina says the warnings from the U.S. intelligence community are a matter of fact, not truth or faith. And she believes reports like those we've seen again in the past couple of weeks about election interference demand even more sanctions against Moscow. It's not a, a matter of trusting or, you know, believing it's there's this American intelligence. And yes, Russia does interfere. Not every particular, you know, not every Russian is a bad person. They certainly are not. But Russia operates as an entity, as a state. And this state is run by Vladimir Putin, by his regime. And a lot of people in Russia support this regime. Yes, they do not have an alternative, but still they support it. And yes, so that's how Russia should be treated. I think that there should be more sanctions against Russia. And I think that Americans should, should be tougher on Russia. That's what I think. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa, on today's show, we heard from seven Russians living in the United States about their views concerning the Democratic primaries, where recent allegations of Russian election interference have started circulating once again. On future episodes of this show, we'll be discussing queer Russian language science fiction and a bombshell web documentary about Russia's HIV and AIDS epidemic. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English language show, and I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening, and come back soon.